Hello and welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshah.net. Episode 31 Reimagine the Capitation Grant. Hello, welcome to episode 31 of If I Were the Minister for Education. This is Simon Lewis from Onshaw.net. And um, back in the recession, the capitation grant paid to primary schools was cut to a low level of 170 euro per day. Not even enough to cover uh, children's school books, their insurance, maybe swimming lessons, or whatever else parents basically now have to dip into their pockets to fund their own child's education, which of course is supposed to be free. In this episode, I'm going to be arguing that if I were the Minister for Education, I would be reimagining the capitation grant and how it will be used. When I speak to people, um, often parents, about school funding, they're often surprised in two ways. First, they're surprised that the money that we receive uh, in terms of the capitation grant is so low. It's less than one euro per pupil per day at this time of the recording, which is around um, October 2019, just after the budget. However, they're even more surprised when I tell them that this money isn't actually used to educate children. And instead, it's used to pay for the heating, the electricity, water charges, insurance, phone bills, and every other utility bill. It doesn't even end there. I mean, everything that we have to buy for the schools running comes from this paltry grant. Um, it's about, it works out at around 36,000 euro for the entire year in let's say a 200 pupil school, which would be an average pupil school size, about eight classrooms. Now while 36,000 might seem like a decent sum of money, just take one of those utility bills, insurance for example, which for this size of a school costs about an average of about 6,000 euro, one sixth of the entire budget for the year. Now, it doesn't take rocket science uh, to see that the other utility bills quickly gobble up lots more of this grant. And most annoyingly, new utility bills have come on stream since the recession, uh, such as water charges and uh, stuff like that. And no extra money has been given to schools to compensate for that. And then you have situations where insurance costs have gone up by at least 200% in the last five years. And has there been an increase in the grants to account for that? Not a chance. In fact, we're already seeing the results of this. Several special schools in the last year have basically had to apply for emergency funding from the Department of Education to pay for their insurance bills because they have gone so high. And it isn't just insurance costs that have risen. Everything has risen in the last 10 years or so. Just then, um, the, the recession ended and, and the first thing to happen was all bills went up. I mean, heat and electricity are rising from year to year. All of the other bills are on the rise. For example, all our energy bills are steadily, steadily going to climb. And with carbon tax and all this sort of stuff capping along, it's going to get worse and worse. And absolutely, it's right that anything emitting carbon does have to be taxed. But unless schools are compensated for that fact by the competition grant, it's certainly not, uh, where, where is that money going to come from? And um, then there's been other kind of little additions that have come our way in the last little while. We have to pay some sort of fee in order to be able to photocopy um, things. I, 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 this sort of came out of the blue a few years ago. I don't know where it came from. Um, we have to pay fees to manage uh, memberships uh, to, to be members of patron bodies. So patrons basically run the schools and basically schools have to pay their patron body to do that. So um, there's a fee for the CPSMA to manage the schools. There's a fee to educate together uh, for them to manage the schools. And that fee has increased 
in the last decade in all uh, uh, patron bodies. Uh, schools are now having to pay for things like security, which uh, may not have been such a big deal back then, but uh, it, uh, in, in many schools, security is a, is a high problem and has to be paid for. And there's also been a huge increase, obviously, in paperwork, as we know, and uh, security due to GDPR and child protection and the ever-emerging TUSLA into our education system. And thanks to FSSU, uh, schools need professional accountants, uh, pretty much professional accountants, to do the growing amount of work that's needed. And who has to cover the cost of getting the accounts certified? Well, yes, it's the capitation grant. Um, and what about the added cost then of SCAA? I mean, that, that came in a couple of years ago that schools now have to show that they're, um, you know, compliant with SCAA and what are they going to do about them? What, what about the cost for uh, testing that and looking at that? Uh, well, yeah, let's call on the Mr. Capitation Grant again. And what about the recent Irish exemption circular um, where schools basically were asked to pay almost a thousand euro to pay for a particular standardised test that, they, uh, that the Department of Education seemed to like um, or it's been collectively agreed as one that we like. Well, you've guessed it, of course, the capitation grant. Now, there's all sorts of smaller, sneakier payments that, have have to be, that basically have to be made. And an IMRO, like, for example, an IMRO-style payment to allow us to play music and video in schools is just one example. Now, while these fees are less than maybe they're 100 euro here, 200 euro there, these, they all add up, um, and they all add up a lot in the end to thousands of euro. Um, some people might think that, just be, that because all the money is that is, that's received by schools is government money, that it would uh, be exempt from tax. That would make sense. It would be exempt from VAT anyway. No, of course it isn't. No school, um, no, schools actually have to pay VAT on their all purchases, which means that when VAT goes up, so do prices on everything. Um, now, conversely, if VAT goes down, uh, this, uh, the, the opposite applies, but I don't remember a situation where that really happened. Um, now, some might say, but sure, don't you also get money to pay for your secretary and your caretaker? Of course, there's that. So, just to let you know, that works out at just about 150 euro per pupil. So your 200 pupil school, that's your average size school, that's just over 30,000 euro in total to pay for both of these services. Now, just so you know, uh, just to put that into context, if you look at the Department of Education's uh, pay scale for, se- uh, for caretakers, they don't have one for secretaries, interestingly enough, but to, for a caretaker's minimum annual salary, according to the Department of Education's own page, it's just over 31,000 euro. So that's more than um, the, the grant, the, the total grant they give. So where does this extra amount of funding come from to make up the lack of funding for both of these services? Well, you guessed it. Yeah, it's the capitation grant. Oh, and if your school is lucky enough to have a pitch or even a bit of grass, who's going to pay for the lawnmower or the, or, and its maintenance for its fuel? Yeah. But the ancillary grant can't uh, pay for cleaning staff, interesting enough. It's only there to pay for secretary services and caretaker services. So what some schools do is they pay a caretaker to do also do the cleaning. So, it, I mean, look, I don't know what qualifications there are for uh, caretakers, but I, I'm assuming um, they're, they're this, um, I don't know, somehow they, they manage to become cleaners as well as caretakers. So um, your 200 people school probably has at least eight classrooms as well as your learning support rooms. And it probably has a hall if it's, a, if it's that size of a school. Now, it isn't exactly realistic to expect a caretaker to do all of this um, really well, I guess. I mean, they could do it in a half-assed way. Um, and not forgetting the outside of the school. For example, um, if you've got a pitch, for example, you know, that's, that's going to take some time. So a cleaner is definitely required um, in most schools. And where does his or her pay come from? Of course you guessed it. And worse, where does all the money come from to pay for the cleaning supplies? You'd think, yeah, sure, look, you could may as well 
uh, pull in from some of some of these grants the hoovers the mops the detergents the polishes all that sort of stuff you know where that comes from decapitation grant so all this is before a school puts its hand in its pocket to buy a single resource for a child now why do you think if you look think of your your own school why do you think for example there's school library in your school you would think a school library would be well stocked with modern books and things like that why do you think school libraries consist almost exclusively of second-hand donated books from second-hand book sales why do you think lots of schools end up buying refurbished laptops instead of new ones why do schools sometimes even ask children to bring in their own toilet paper well i think if i haven't uh, made the point of why that is now um, I, I i'm not sure what more i can do the CPSMA, that's the Catholic management body, calculated that the Department of Education funds schools to a tune of about 53% of what they actually need to survive. The rest of the money has to be fundraised. And how do schools fundraise? Well, there's two ways. The first one um, is through fundraising, obviously. Um, and that's uh, basically, if you listen back to my fundraising episode, um, uh, a few weeks back, uh, which goes through some of the ways schools are forced uh, to don sequins or i don't know god knows what uh, to get a bit of extra cash and many schools have to seek a voluntary contribution um and you know i mean i think uh, and, and that's often about five euro a week uh, per family and you know i think you might be forgiven um why some schools might be more enthusiastic about asking for that money uh, from listening to what you've heard already um for example that 200 uh, pupil school asking for five euro per family per week We'll get a maximum, let's say, of about 35, 36,000 euro for the year. And that's only to plug the hole that's left from the lack of funding. I mean, we only get 53% of what we need. Um, so if that school is getting 30,000 euro roughly in capitation grants, then the five euro a week gets you the, you know, 38,000, which is around just a bit more uh, than, than, than what, what's absolutely needed to run the school. And whatever's left can be used maybe to buy those books for the kids or buy those resources for the kids or buy the arts and crafts for the kids, all that sort of stuff. So what are representatives actually doing about this? Well, we've just heard the CPSMA did their research and found how badly funded that we are. Um, but back in 2012, in the depths of the recession, they actually reported that 46% of its schools, and, that's, and now remember, 90% of schools are, are, in, are Catholic. So this, this is a very good sample. Um, 46% of their schools were in a deficit situation. They were actually in debt. I mean, this is shocking. I mean, this is a system that shouldn't, shouldn't actually have um, a, debt set, a, a situation of debt. Um, education should be funded. And, um, and these are schools that are doing everything they can uh, to stay afloat through their fundraising efforts. Um, but anyway, the INTO, going on to the INTO, they even made a part of their budget campaign this year, 2019, so we're well out of the recession now. And in budget 2020, it was, um, it basically was a decent enough pitch, um, uh, bringing up the crazy disparity between primary and second level schools. Uh, this is what it says. Irish primary schools receive significantly less funding than second and third level institutions. Primary schools get 97 cent per pupil per day to cover their running costs and second level schools get almost double that amount. The standard capitation grant per pupil has dropped from 200 euro in 2010 to 179 euro at present, in contrast to the current figure of 309 euro at post-primary level. So our 200 pupil school getting roughly 36 grand a year if it were if it were a second level school it would actually get 62000 euro which basically you know effectively um 
you know, I, I don't really understand it, you know? I mean, a 200-pupil uh, uh, primary school and a 200-pupil secondary school, they have the same electricity. They have the same phone. They have the same insurance. They have the same water and so on. How is it? Like, how is this at all fair? I mean, I, I, anyway, I'm, I mean, I'm beginning to repeat episode two of this podcast here about the disparity between primary and secondary schools, but it's an important point. It makes no sense that the capitation grant, which basically covers bills, it doesn't actually cover anything educational, um, I, I, you know, for, I mean, when, in, in effect, really, it doesn't cover anything educational because there isn't enough of it. Um, but, you know, it's an important, it's an important point. Why, why do secondary schools... I mean, I'm not saying they get enough even with their 62,000 euro for the 200 student school, but it's certainly a hell of a lot better than what primary schools have to do. Um, anyway, they go on uh, to, the INT go on to international comparisons. And this is what they say about international comparisons. Annual expenditure per student in Ireland is lower than the OECD average for pre-primary and primary education pre-primary education at a glance 2018 shows per pupil expenditure a primary level in ireland is substantially below oecd and eu averages 18th out of the 33 countries in spending and therefore in the bottom half of the oecd trade table sorry now ireland i think as we all know um because we we we, we live here and uh, because when we go on holidays we seem to see our euro going a bit further um in most time, in most cases, we have one of the highest costs of living in the OECD. I mean, it costs more to do everything uh, in Ireland. You know, a cup of coffee is three euro nowadays. One euro in Italy, for example. Do you know, say for the same cup of coffee, you go to you go in a, you go to anywhere really in 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 Europe at the moment, and you just realise your euro goes a lot further. So basically, that that effectively move, um, you know works in education as well. I mean, things are just more expensive in Ireland. And the fact is, if our funding is really that low, relatively, um, given the relative cost of living in other countries, it must be even lower than it's 18th out of 33. Um, I don't know, but it isn't great. Look, the INTO call for a higher capitation grant in any case, and basically the IPPN, I'm not going to repeat myself, they go into basically similar um, statements um, on capitation grants in their press releases. In any case, in the most recent budget, there was an increase. This is a couple of weeks ago um, in October 19, uh, 2019. 2.5% um, increase from €179 Euro, uh, of a capitation grant. So we're up to €183 Euro or something like that. Still well shy of what we were at at two, 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 um, 2010. And certainly even shyer. Um, and nowhere near. Not even a, It's a, almost a dream to be near wherever uh, second level might be. Um, it's not even enough to scratch the surface of the increased prices for utilities, for example, that we mentioned before. I mean, insurance has gone up 200% on average in most schools over the last five years. I mean, th th these increases are, are nothing. And then we have to supplement the ancillary, I mean, the ancillary grants, um, the secretary wages, caretaker wages, any other wages that we have, bus escort wages, they all have to have been increased by uh, about, I think they've increased by about 5% in the last few years. And again, it doesn't, you know, that it just isn't, um, it's just not enough to cover the costs. So, look, you know, there isn't a huge amount to say on this episode, really, um, about the lack of funding given to schools. I think I've, I've laboured the point at this stage that we just don't get enough. However, if I were the Minister for Education, I don't know if I'd just give a load more money um, to schools particularly. I mean, it, it just saying, okay, we're going to double the capitation grant. I'm not sure if that's the answer because it's, even if we double it, it's not going to be enough um, to, to cover the costs of a, of a primary school. I'd like to reimagine 
decapitation grant. And I wouldn't actually be using it for paying bills. And this is what I do instead. Firstly, when it came to staffing, basically what I would do is I'd get rid of the ancillary grant. I mean, the ancillary grant is just redundant grant, really, because number one, it isn't enough to cover the cost of your ancillary uh, staff, and you basically have to dip into the capitation grant to, uh, to supplement it in, in, uh, to ensure that someone gets at least uh, minimum wage. Um, but basically, every school were, uh, uh, that has a secretary or a caretaker and a cleaner would be paid directly by the Department of Education. In fact, I would suggest that... Um, that contract cleaners would be um, would basically be used uh, for all schools, much like they are in, in, in any other public service, and they're paid directly by the Department of Education. Caretakers and secretaries, the same. They should be paid by the Department of Education. And, in a, on a, and for very, very small schools, that might be on a pro rata thing. So maybe you get a full-time secretary after a certain number of classrooms, and then maybe there's a shared secretary for smaller schools. I don't know, but I mean, these, this is all going back into our small schools uh, discussion, which I think is becoming a bit of a theme um, in, these, um, in this podcast, really, that, uh, you know, we have a very uh, tangly up system, as I keep saying. It's like the Christmas decorations. And a lot of these solutions um, can only happen if we untangle some of the bigger problems. And one of the biggest knots, I guess, is how we deal with small schools. And uh, I've, as I said, I'm not going to go through all that. In this episode, I think I've made two episodes almost exclusively on small schools. Um, so um, look, anyway, I will move on. I would also make sure that in order to save some money, this new FSSU, this is the financial stuff that we have to do, no, I don't remember my secretary being trained in any of this stuff. It just was landed on her desk and, I mean, effectively, um, you know, she's not trained in, 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 in this sort of level of financial stuff. Um, so basically, we'd need to fund someone to do these accounts in schools. You don't need someone in every school. Not even big schools need someone full-time. But once a week in a very big school would be enough uh, for an accounts person to come in to do all the paperwork uh, for the FSSU. And um, and again, we'd have to pay them directly. So a town, let's say, with eight schools in it might need two of these accounts people. And they would go one day a week to each school and sort out their accounts. Everything would be there for them. Um, it, it, it makes uh, I don't see why this would be a, a difficult thing to do. Um, you know, but, I mean, obviously it costs money. Um, but anyway, the department, again, would pay them directly. Um, obviously, this would all depend on the size of the school, as I said. And the reason I mention this as part of the uh, as part of the capitation grant is because most schools have to use their capitation grant to supplement their ancillary grant. So I'd scrap the ancillary grant, basically, and pay ancillary staff directly. So effectively, there would be a set wage, you know, for, because that's another problem, isn't it? That's, uh, there's some secretaries earning less than minimum wage, and there's some secretaries earning, you know, whatever, uh, more than I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know too many secretaries rolling it. In fact, I don't think there are any secretaries. If there's any that are uh, anywhere near... Um, minimum wage um, in, in most cases I, I, I'd love to see it because I don't, know, I don't know how schools would be able to afford it anyway next thing I would do is I'd make sure all utility bills would be paid directly to the Department of Education by the Department of Education in fact I'm sure there's some sort of system um, where um, how public funding is done for, for public bodies for how this is all done I'm pretty sure and I don't maybe I'm wrong that somebody I don't know, in the Department of Social Welfare is not uh, being handed an ESB bill and has to process that. I'm pretty sure that the department themselves have some sort of uh, system where all this sort of stuff is paid for um, directly to the utility companies. I'm sure there's various, uh, um, I don't know, deals is probably the wrong uh, word, but uh, when you bring people together uh, to pay um, for for your particular bill. So let's say the ESB won the contract to... um, 
to provide electricity to all primary schools in the country, that's just all paid. You know, so the, the it's all tallied and it's all paid directly. There's It doesn't even need to be that many people involved. Similarly with the phone bills, maybe air win the contract uh, to supply a phone and internet to, to all schools or whatever. You know, basically that they tender and schools don't have to worry about it. The bills are just paid and uh, there's no reason uh, why that can't uh, be done. Um, and basically, you know, in terms of um, a school's um, responsibility effectively I suppose we, we could um, I mean there's a lot of schools but at the same time um, we uh, there could be incentives to ensure that schools are responsible with their energy use and, uh, and I think um, incentivizing that would be a good idea so there'd be a, a limit uh, depending on the size and the construct and all that kind of stuff of the school that you'd have to do and basically if you save the government money you would get some sort of um, incentive for that if you don't save the government money then unfortunately um, maybe there's some sort of um, I wouldn't say penalize uh, punishment or whatever like that uh, but maybe there does i mean you know ultimately you know again this would have to be balanced to be realistic and i know i'm uh, moving into dodgy territory there because it gives license to the department to give unrealistic uh, maximum output um but i don't know if it's done well it could be it could be something that works um and i think it looks bad for example if the department put unrealistic expectations and they see like 97 percent of schools fail um in their energy consumption you know we have to be um we have to have uh, it doesn't work either way if we work at that anyway insurance for example will be paid directly by the department of education again uh you'd have one insurance company there is only one insurance company that uh, provides insurance to schools anyway um and there's all these brokers uh, trying to get the best possible deal out of it just have all all schools are the same i mean like do you know i mean at the end of the day well they're kind of the same i know they're not completely the same and i know some of the buildings are owned by uh, private bodies and all that kind of stuff but at the end of the day i'm sure there is some way to put them all into one boat and basically have a particular insurance premium for all schools in the country i'm sure um it, it, it's not too difficult to do that and these blocks these smaller blocks don't need to be there just have all schools under one umbrella and basically the department of education can pay the insurance whatever it might be and again it, it works really well because you can then have this one figure for insurance and people can kind of go oh my god i can't believe the department of education are spending one billion euro a year on insurance costs why is that and the department of education can say well there were you know 3,000 claims made against uh, primary schools this year and the payouts were this, that and the other and people can kind of go, whoa, I can't believe that and so on. Do you know, look, I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of going on a bit about that but th- th- this is the real power. If you've got 3,200 little mini fiefdoms all paying their own insurance systems and there's all these tiny claims and it's very hard to collect them really but if you have one agency basically paying one insurance premium and then you, see, you can see a lot more data, more useful data um than uh than, than you can in the current system and um, basically i would suggest that if we are to have a capitation grant it would total basically the cost of a child going to school and getting his or her resources for learning so that's their books um that would be sub- subscriptions to learning sites it could be book rental photocopying arts and crafts you know the stuff swimming um those kind of costs um and so on so basically that we could have a free education system a free primary education system the capitation grants that's given to schools would be realistic in to cover all that cost perhaps i would suggest that it costs about 150 to 200 euro per child in order to just cover those simple costs i'm not sure if i get it to uh, cover patron membership and um, i just would scrap patrons if i was the minister for education in the first place but um 
if that wasn't possible, it would have to be uh, that would also have to be part of it. So there would have to be some sort of fee paid by the Department of Education to patron bodies to keep running schools. Um, and maybe they should just do that directly rather than getting that from children. Um, yes, look, all of this would be extremely difficult to administer to the 3,200 schools that are in the country. And I get it. But then we enter the discussion again of why do we have so many primary schools however it's not any reason to have an overly complex system when schools are forced to find ways to make up the sizable shortfall they're left with by the lack of funding from the government but the weird thing the weird thing is the government are already directly funding some schools in ireland they don't give a capitation grant for example to at least nine schools that i know of in the country and this is um these are the model schools. Now, some of you may not have ever seen a model school before um, uh, because there's only nine of them in the country, but they don't get a capitation grant. And what happens in these schools is a bill comes in to a model school. Now, the model school, by the way, just in case you're not familiar with them, they were um, a kind of an experiment. I wouldn't say a failed experiment because I thought it was a very good idea. Back in the very, very olden days when um, when it was kind of a Catholic-Protestant sort of uh, situation um, in, in Ireland. But basically, these were supposed to be non-denominational schools. And basically, if you had a Catholic principal, you would have a Protestant inspector. Um, or if you had a Protestant um principle you'd have a catholic inspector so there was no kind of way uh, so the idea really was that you'd have some form of equality they'd be watching each other uh, to make sure they weren't influencing their children in a particular religious way now this was completely um as part of that uh, they were also uh, they were basically directly patronized by the state so the state is actually responsible for these schools directly responsible so if something goes wrong in one of these schools it's not the patron body there's no patron body the state is directly responsible for what happens in these schools, which is very interesting and a very and and and, and something that a lot of people might not know. Um, now, the, the reality is that the the whole thing fell apart, and now all model schools have religious um, have a religious kind of denominational structure um, illegally, actually, but uh, because the Department of Education is supposed to be agnostic, I guess is the best word I can use. Um, but uh, they are directly supporting uh, a Catholic and Protestant uh, ethos schools, uh, which is which entirely um, illegal. But anyway, that aside, it's the funding that we're interested in this week. And basically, if you get a utility bill into a model school, you just send the utility bill to the Minister for Education and it's paid. Done. Now, I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's entirely possible. Obviously, because it's only nine schools, so it's easy enough for uh, that, that to be one person's job. If three thousand two hundred schools just threw in bills every every five minutes, it's obviously unmanageable. Um, but looking at the previous, uh, looking at kind of making that a bit easier and. Um, you know, sort of blocking everyone together, then it's entirely possible. I'm just saying it does exist already in nine schools. It's not like this is a completely revolutionary idea. I mean, even if we look at, um, I mean, the, the, the Department of Education basically really have to get real and they have to start funding schools properly um, or come up with some creative solutions. I mean, to fix this, I mean, they, they do it with these nine schools. How can you expand that to the rest of the uh, 3,000 odd schools in the country? Um, I mean, it seems obvious to me, for example, um, 
there's another system out there, and I'm not quite sure how it works, so I, I, I could be wrong on this, but the Community National School, which is part of the ETB, I think they work through ETB funding structures so that the ETB are, are basically responsible for the funding. And I think they could set, it's, it's a separate funding structure. Now, I don't think it's massively different um, to the normal, I suppose, typical structure of schools, but it's certainly there's definitely definitely differences. And I do think it's probably the way to go. Um because it's centralized um, um, in a way through the ETB structures. So uh, I'm not quite sure how many ETBs are now. Is it about 16, 17 of those? Um, so you've got 16 departments, basically sub-departments uh, of the Department of Education in a way because they are uh, directly responsible the Department of Education doing all this sort of stuff. And they have all the people employed um, in order to deal with this. They have HR, they have financial people, they have all these kind of people employed already to process all this information. So it seems very obvious to me that the ETB model in terms of funding, seems to be a good one. Um, whatever about the rest of its uh, of the way it does things, its funding structure does seem to be a little bit better. Um, anyway, we have already got several special schools now uh, needing emergency funding due to the rising cost of insurance, and it's not going to be long before more schools are going to follow suit, and they will not be all special schools either. Special schools are just being hit now because insurance costs in those uh, in these types of schools is much higher again than um, than in typically typical um, I suppose your typical school non special schools I suppose, um, and ultimately, um, if insurance keeps rising the way it is rising in our primary schools, it's uh, it's not going to be too long before we are tipped over the edge. So effectively, that's my thoughts on funding. I do believe that we need the Department of Education to be basically paying directly for most of the services that are uh, that are in schools there's really it makes no sense that we've got 3200 different private agencies paying you know bit, bitty pieces and picking bitty companies to save a euro or two here and there you know like it makes it makes no sense it makes a lot more sense that if the department of education basically said we're tendering out um our you know for gas we're tendering out for electricity we're tending out for uh, whatever uh, fuel or whatever uh, to, to heat our schools to light our schools and, and effectively they'll get a, a cheaper price overall because of just basically the tendering process generally does that um, in the same way as when they're building schools and um, they tender it out uh, so each block of schools that has to be uh, built they tender it out and they get their quotes and then they pick the cheapest one um, and they get a, a terrible service but I mean I don't think they'll do the same with the utility bills. Uh, I think you basically pay your electricity, you tender out who's going to pay your electricity bills and the uh, SB might come along or electricity might come along and whichever one comes in the cheapest, take it. And then you, the Department of Education basically pay, um, uh, pay the costs and schools basically have to, I mean, I suppose they have to have some sort of um, responsibility for what happens uh, in them. I think really I'm, just repeating myself again, it's uh, if I were the Minister of Education, I think I'd really have to reimagine uh, reimagine the capitation grant. Um, and again, it's just another little way to untangle and simplify our system. And, um, you know, I don't see it happening. But if I were the Minister of Education, it's exactly what I'd be doing. If you've been working in a primary school for over a decade and you were asked, what was the number one change in pupils since you began your career? It wouldn't be a surprise if children's mental health was top of that list. However, accessing services for mental health is almost impossible and it's leading to a deterioration of behaviours and putting the health, safety and well-being of all children in our schools at risk. Next week, I'll be arguing that if I were the Minister for Education, I would provide proper mental health services for pupils.
I hope you enjoyed this episode and be sure to tune in every Wednesday morning just in time for your midweek slump. It's almost sure to get your blood boiling. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify and any other podcasting app by searching for either on Shaw.net or if I were the Minister for Education. I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so that each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release. Please also feel free to review the podcast so others can find it more easily. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you didn't mind the frog in my throat for this. Um, I, I probably shouldn't have recorded it while I might I have a bit of a, an infection. Um, anyway, it was a shorter one, so I wasn't warbling on for over an hour. Um, hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.